This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle, and this is the week of May 29th, 2023. And uh, we have some Jeopardy games to talk about. But first, let's check in. Emily, how's it going? It's going all right. Thank you. I have a 10-year-old now, which seems impossible. My older one turned 10. We have so many weeks of school still to go. By so many, I guess I mean three, but that's feeling like a lot because it was like 94 out today. It feels like summer for sure. It feels like summer. It was 94 degrees. The pool has opened for the season and we still have three weeks of school. So I'm living with the incongruity, cognitive dissonance. Yeah. And my video game update is that Tears of the Kingdom is still so great. It's such a great game. I imagine it's going to be that for a long time. Yes. It will continue to be great. Yeah. I am maybe halfway through the main plot of Tears of the Kingdom. I'm doing my third of four temples. Those are kind of the main thing before, you know, going to the final battle. But I looked it up and there's like a hundred and something side quests and like there's a lot in there. There's a lot of content if you want to really draw it out, which I think I probably will think I'm going to be a completionist about this one. I may not go for a hundred percent because there are some truly absurd (laughs) things that you would have to do to really cover everything in the game. There's like a thousand something Korok puzzles and whatever, but I'm really enjoying Tears of the Kingdom a lot. Good. Yeah. How about you? Life and or video games. I'm doing fine. This week has been full of lots of things. I ran the Boulder Boulder on Monday, which is America's all-time best 10K, Mm. at least according to the shirts that they make. Okay. Seems like a reliable and objective impartial source. I mean, it was probably voted on at some point. I haven't verified that claim, but I could believe it. It's a fun time. And uh, other than that, just doing like getting into summer as in cleaning all the things that needed to be cleaned and fixing all the things that need to be fixed that I Mm -hmm. wasn't able to get to before that. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Nice. For me. Yeah. So we have some Jeopardy to talk about. It was on the television this week. Mm hmm. It was. It was <laughs> I, I, I believe anyway that that is the case. Could be wrong. Probably not, though. All right. On Monday, May 29th, we had the contestants Niranjan Morali, an education policy professional from Washington, D.C., Travis Lee, a systems engineer from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, and Deandra D'Alessio, a technical writer from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, whose one-day cash winnings total $3,299. And the Jeopardy round categories are Poetic Subjects, The Rockefellers, Trees Company, Who Was That Masked Man? Yes, We, they give you yes in a language, and Mm -hmm. Cannery. (laughs) The Who Was That Masked Man category turned out to be all Spider-Man questions. (laughs) It it did. (laughs) 
Except for except for the thousand dollar level. Oh, whoops! I'm sorry. Nope, it was not all Spider Man. Oh no, it was four Spider Man and one four Spiders Men. Yes, <laughs> and one George Clooney. Yes, my mistake. Well, you know, according to George Clooney, Batman and Robin was also a mistake, <laughs> as he says many times. So yeah, that's okay. We can forgive you on that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was four Spider Man questions. That's a lot of Spider Man. Yeah, spiders, Spiders Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Spooderman. <laughs> Have, did you ever see the web series Batman Piderman? I don't think so. You'd remember. Okay. <laughs> I, think you, I think you'd remember. It is hard to describe. It, you know, that time in the 2000s where there were like bad animation web tunes that people would make that are just like super yeah. weird. And yes, it's one of those. It's very funny, but also very like surreal <laughs> yeah in this is like the the badger mushroom era the stringer helium era mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah. I'm gonna have to so, find it yeah I've, you can find it it's yeah cute. did you ever watch those strindberg and helium web I, cartoons m- you know maybe there were so few of them and they were so good strindberg and helium yeah i don't know that i ever watched those yeah they're worth tracking down. They won't take a lot of your time. Oh, I recognize these. Yes. <laughs> okay. They were top of mind for me because we were doing word puzzles and the word decay came up. And I said, decay. And the kids were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke from 18 years ago. Sorry. <laughs> It's back from when the internet was young. <laughs> yeah. You were about to mention some kind of web cartoon, though. Oh, no. I'm just... It's pulling me back. Charlie the Unicorn. You know, oh, I love that one. Oh, mm-hmm, all those. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh, man. Anyway, listeners, you probably know what we're talking about. But if you don't, I'm pretty sure all that stuff is on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, you can find it somewhere. If you want to see what the internet used to be like. <laughs> when we were so innocent. Also, I mean, homestarrunner.com isn't around anymore, but you can find all yeah. Homestar Runners. Mm-hmm. I yeah. showed my kids the Halloween one with mm-hmm. the seance and credenza, the ficus, mm-hmm. and they just love it. Yeah. My kids have a handful of, I can't remember now which ones they ask for, but they've seen a bunch of the Strong Bad emails and other Homestar Runner cartoons, and they have a handful of favorites that they want to revisit regularly. Nice. Yeah. <sighs> bringing them up right yeah deandra only got a handful of correct responses in this round all of her correct responses were in yes we and cannery but she got enough high value clues that you know she kind of kept pace yeah yeah i haven't looked at the box where i don't know if she was trying to get in on the lower value stuff and was just getting out buzzed or what she came out with a solid total despite getting a relatively small number of the clues. True. Yeah. Daily double number one is in cannery at the thousand dollar level. Travis finds it. It's pick number 18. He's at 1400 with Deandra at 2400 and Niranjan at 1800. Uh, Travis makes it a true daily double. Great call here and gets the clue. This author said of Monterey, 
The corrugated iron of the canneries glows with the pearly lucence of platinum. Travis tries who is Faulkner, but we were looking for Steinbeck here, the author of Cannery Row. Yeah. If you have that title in your head, like for me, I saw cannery mm-hmm. come out as a category and I was like, well, there's going to be a Steinbeck question in there somewhere. Probably. Mm-hmm. I felt very vindicated <laughs> when this came up. Yeah. Yeah. So Travis drops to zero and has to start building again, but we're early on. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Deandra is at 2,800 tied with Travis. Niranjan is at 4,200. And the double Jeopardy categories are history, the Gulf of Mexico, chemistry, pop instrumentals, monthly people real and imagined, and play free words. Haha, uh-huh. free in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. And Travis got to select the first clue because of, I can't remember what the rules are, if there's a tie oh, yeah. for a second going into double jeopardy, but there's some, there's some tie break to decide who has control. Yeah. I don't remember specifically. I knew at one point and then yeah. it ceased being relevant. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. I forgot. The $2,000 level of monthly people real and imagined. This isn't the same. I think Strindberg. it is. I think it's, it the is. Same, it's the same. Oh Strindberg. my God. <laughs> the clue is, quote, married. An 1884 collection of stories by this Swede got him prosecuted for blasphemy. That's August Strindberg. Mm-hmm. Which, yep. how interesting that. We literally just talked about that. Yes, we sure did. That name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the $800 level, they really could have chosen a better quote. Aubrey Plaza getting married as this character on Parks and Rec. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Is that cool? And that's April Ludgate. There are so many better April Ludgate quotes, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew you'd want to talk about that yes. clue. I want to mention the $1,600 level of monthly people real and imagined. This was revealed as Alfred's real name on TV's The Handmaid's Tale, but not in the novel. Deandra got that one. It is June. There is a longstanding fan theory that June is her real name, like from the novel, because I can't remember the logic, but there's like a scene where the handmaids are like whispering their real names to each other and like several names are mentioned and all of them come up and kind of get attached to people if i remember you know to characters mm-hmm. except for that you know the name june is mentioned and it's not attached and, it, to a and it's not attached to a character and we never find out the protagonist's mm. real name right so there was already a, a theory that her name was june that wasn't just introduced in the show that has some history behind it ah Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Yeah. I thought pop instrumentals was kind of fun. Yeah. The hit from Deliverance called Dueling Vs. It's Dueling Banjos. Mm-hmm. The 1958 number one hit by The Champs, a sax-heavy tune whose only lyric is the title booze. That's <laughs> tequila. Deandra got that one. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was a little kid, I didn't know what tequila was. I just knew the song. It's a fun word. Yeah. And I remember, you know, it struck me as weird because I remember like there was some, somebody's parents were like, they thought the song was inappropriate or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, how? There's one word. Yeah. (laughs) How could it it not be appropriate? There's one word. Uh Uh-huh. 
and in my kid brain, it's just a made up word that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I guess, I guess, I found the teetotalers in our in our community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's funny. Daily Double number two is in that monthly people real and imagined at the twelve hundred dollar level. So we've talked about almost all of these. It's at pick number eight. Neuron finds it. He is at thirty eight hundred. DeAndre's at fifty six hundred. Travis is at thirty six hundred. He bets it all. Gets the clue. The first woman to chair the UK Conservative Party. She led even more after becoming Prime Minister in twenty sixteen. And he gets it correct. That is Theresa May. Good old Theresa mm-hmm. May. Yep. And Daily Double number three is pick number 26. Travis finds it at the $1,200 level of the Gulf of Mexico. He is at 6800 with Deandra at 6800 and Niranjan at 7600 He wagers 6000 and he gets the clue. This 76,000 square mile peninsula juts up into the Gulf's south end. And he gets it correct. It is the Yucatan Peninsula. He said Yucatan, and then Mayim didn't rule, and then he added Peninsula. I don't think I don't, he, he would have needed, needed to. to. He should have gotten a correct ruling. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I can see wanting to add more if you're in that like kind yeah. of no man's <laughs> land. Like you um, know, seems like they're waiting to see whether you'll finish the response. Kind of kind uh-huh. of zone. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, DeAndre's at 8,800. Travis is up to 12,400 after that correct response. And Naranjan is at 8,000. And we have the final jeopardy category, memorials. And the clue is the Vietnam War crypt at this memorial has been empty since the remains once there were identified and moved to St. Louis. Uh, Naranjan got it correct with what is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at Arlington. And he only wagered 800. So he moved into a tie with DeAndre. Deandra also got it correct. What is the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier? Wagered 3601 and got her up to 12,401. And Travis was not able to get it out. He only got what is Tomb of the Unk, <laughs> which isn't, isn't quite it. So he loses 5201, which is a cover bet. And that means Deandra wins her second game. That's right. Her wager here, like I see the logic she was trying to get above Travis. I think conventional wagering math would say either cover an all-in from Naranjan or keep your wager really small uh, to mm-hmm. ensure that you would win in a triple stumper. Yeah. But, you know, she goes with an alternative strategy and as it turns out, it works out for her. Right. Yeah. So that brings us to Tuesday. We have the contestants Nathan Dennis, a C-17 loadmaster from Charlotte, North Carolina, Ilhana Rejvik, an investment associate from Chicago, Illinois, and DeAndre D'Alessio, a technical writer from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, whose two-day cash winnings total 15700 And the Jeopardy round categories are author's first novels, The Year That Was, The Band's Songs Tell a Story, Fruity Rhyme Time, MC, in quotation marks, and Hammer. Stop. Hammer time. Hammer time. <laughs> Jeopardy is teaching the octogenarians the term meat cute. <laughs> you know, I had the thought, like, I wonder, like, when was that term coined? Because it feels very recent. Yeah. Feels like a millennial kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, originated in 1938. No. That cannot be. 
accidentally coined by German-American film director Ernst Lubitsch to describe the encounter between the characters played by Claudette Colbert and Gary Cooper in the 1938 film Bluebeard's Eighth Wife. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, it makes sense that a non-native English speaker would coin it (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it's not, it is not a grammatically correct (laughs) phrase. Yeah. It does. It does feel like it's coined by a German American, right? Like that fits, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it is a German idea. It is a neat cute. <laughs> yes, German brings us so many excellent compound words. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it does. The thousand dollar level of fruity rhyme time had a real, just unfortunate triple stumper. Everyone got it wrong. The clue is fruit pulled out by Little Jack Horner from the largest part of the brain. Nathan got as far as plum, and that is incorrect, or at least incomplete. Alana guessed what's cerebellum plum and was upset that it wasn't correct. Deandra guessed what is plum cerebellum, which is still incorrect. Usually it doesn't matter what order the rhyme is in for rhyme time. Yeah. But the biggest part of the brain is the cerebrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which we gotta goes away go a ways back for my my brain parts deep dive, but I do have a deep dive on the brain. Yes, yes, areas. you do. Daily double number one is in the year that was at the six hundred dollar level. Pick number three very early on. Deandra finds it. She's at four hundred. Alana's at zero. Nathan's at two hundred. She bets only four hundred, not a thousand. Gets the clue. William Lloyd Garrison published the last issue of the Liberator, saying his quote vocation as an abolitionist has ended. And she got it correct with 1865. They were were Mm -hmm. asking for the year. But she doesn't do a lot after that for the rest of the round. At the end of the Jeopardy round, DeAndre's at 2,000. Alana is up to 6,800. And Nathan is at 2,600. The double Jeopardy categories are mountains. Check it out, as in like Czech uh, Mm -hmm. Republic. Scientists. Cat breeds. Disney endings and middle G with G in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. They got tricky at the $1,200 level there. They showed a picture of a fabric with a pattern and they asked for what that is. And it's gingham, which has a G in the middle, but it also has a G at the beginning. Right. Throws me off. Throws mm-hmm. me off. Yep. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. A $2,000 level of Disney endings. In Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, Alice slays the Jabberwocky with this. Kalu Calais. We just talked about that a we couple did. weeks ago. <laughs> the Vorpal Sword. Yes. Which, I mean, if they were being true to the source material, that wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to say that, you know, <laughs> Alice in Wonderland is, is really strict about realism. Yeah. Uh, but Jabberwocky isn't even in Alice in Wonderland. Right. Yeah. Ah. As, as I also, yeah, as I talked about. Yeah. That was a great deep dive. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. I enjoyed yeah. it too. Nobody knew the 1986 cinematic classic in which Basil of Baker Street survives a fall from Big Ben, but the evil Radigan is not so lucky. Deandra tried. What is the rescuers? Mm-hmm. Not a bad guess. One should know. But everyone should know that this is the Great Mouse Detective. Detective. The Great Mouse Detective. One of the greatest films of all time. It is. If it weren't for like the really like dark. I think you might be mocking me. 
No, I'm not. It's it's, it's incredible. So I want it, I want to watch it with my kids, but I just mm-hmm. don't. I don't know that they're ready for because there's some yeah, actually scary parts. Yeah, it does. It does get a little perilous there. Yeah. yeah, but it's so good. No, it is definitely one of my favorites from childhood. Yeah, for sure. I am not mocking. I would never mock you about the Great Mouse Detective. Better not. Basil of Baker Street. It's so good. It's so good. You can mock me about Lion King one and a half if you want to. I would do that if I knew anything at all about that. <laughs> it is, I would say, by far the best direct-to-video Disney prequel. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's a, that is an, an august group you have. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not really, but Lion King 1 and a half, I, I will stand by as an excellent thing for what it is. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have time to get into it. But you know, if any if anybody wants to go read the Wikipedia article, you will not find that you've wasted your time. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number two is in Cat Breeds. It's at the twelve hundred dollar level and is pick number eighteen. Nathan finds it. Uh, he's at seventy four hundred with Deandra at twenty eight hundred and Ilhana at eighty four hundred. He wagers one thousand three hundred fifty six. <sighs> Because he hates us. <laughs> just, uh, it's probably an important number to him or something. Uh, it probably is. This it is, is a probably, once in a lifetime opportunity. It, it for is a probably not to, to annoy anybody. It probably is something of significance to him. Nevertheless, the numbers are going to get weird and stay weird. The clue is this place associated with a tiger subspecies is also the name of a beautiful cat breed. And he gets it correct. It is Bengal. Bengal. Yeah, I can't remember when you're supposed to say Bengal and when you're supposed to say Bengal. So I, I don't know. Don't, I also don't know. There is some kind of rule that sometimes I've looked up. When you're talking about the Cincinnati football team, then it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I've also I, heard Bengal Tiger, mm-hmm. or Bay of Bengal. Bay of Bengal is the one that I looked up. I think when I was doing a deep dive, interesting where that was coming up. Is it where it fought? It doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm not really sure. But yeah, I feel like the cat breed is kind of the in-between. Well, we should just ask the cats. Yeah. See what they think. Yeah. They think meow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they do. Yeah. They think, why are you talking to me? Mm-hmm. You useless creature <laughs> for whom I am entirely dependent on for food. And the Daily Double number three is in Scientists at the $1,600 level. Pick number 26. Ilana finds this one. She is at 15,600, DeAndre's at 2,800, and Nathan is at 10,756. She wagers 5,000 and gets a clue for his work on vibrations and sound. Ernst Kladny is known as the father of this science. And she gets a correct with what is acoustics. Very nice. Yes, very nice. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Deandra's at seventy two hundred, Ilhana is at twenty one thousand, Nathan is at ten thousand seven hundred fifty six. The final jeopardy category is literary groups, and the clue is Windermere, Thirlmere, and Grasmere are three of the sites that helped give a nineteenth century literary group this name. This was a triple stumper. Deandra tried who are the Algonquin Round Table. I think that's a solid guess. I mean, I sort of knew that the dates didn't line up and I feel like I, I know where the Algonquin round table got their names right. for the hotel. Right? right. But like, if you don't, you know, if you know, Algonquin round table 
and yeah. and don't have other context and then they give you this like it could fit it's you know a literary group solid but not correct she wagered 7199 that's all but a dollar nathan tried who are the meadow men <laughs> <laughs> sure Good for him. Go for it. That's not correct either. With a $3,745 wager, probably also a number of significance to him. Or no, no, he's trying to get... The math is too hard. He's trying to cover a double up from Deandra. But he misses, so it drops him down to 7011 And Ilhana also tried what is Algonquin round table and not correct for her either, but she just wagered 600, which I'm still trying to do math. It's a cover bet in a little bit. Nathan would have landed at 21,512, right? Yeah. 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 So that's, that's just a tad over a cover bet. So she just drops down to 20,400 and she is our new champion going into Wednesday. Yep. So on Wednesday, we have the contestants Lisa Gargiulo, a middle school English teacher from Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania. Kyle Marshall, a library branch manager from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And Alana Rejevic, an investment associate from Chicago, Illinois, who just won $20,400. And the Jeopardy round categories are countries in short, which are tourism slogans, I guess. Eight letter words, the natural order, Around the USA, Dude, Here's Your Car, and mm. Andrew Lloyd Webber, presenting on Andrew Lloyd Webber. It's one of Andrew Lloyd Webber's favorite topics. Um, <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> Anybody who wants uh, to dive into Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Anyone who wants to learn more about Andrew Lloyd Webber, I've got a deep dive about the about you know andrew lloyd weber's life background works whatever indeed somewhere yeah i think bad cinderella was snubbed in the tony nominations snubbed as in it deserved things that it didn't get oh no 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 no, just didn't didn't get nominated yeah if it's not worth it then i don't consider that a snub you know what i mean yeah some like it got a lot of nominations and I'm feeling really good about that because we saw it before the Tony nominations. My husband was trying to pick which Broadway musical we were going to go see. And I rejected his recommendation and was like, no, no, here are the ones I think are going to get Tony nominations. And Mm. some like it hot got, I think more nominations than anything else. So Mm. yeah. So I was right. Picked the right horse. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that's what musical theater is all about, right? Yeah, it's about being right. (laughs) For all of my dunking on Andrew Lloyd Webber, the video clips drew my seven-year-old and she was very intrigued about what it was that I was watching. I was bummed to realize that it was Jeopardy. (laughs) Oh, man, this again. (laughs) I'm a little uncertain why they needed the specificity at a $600 level of countries in short. This type of area that you might visit in the Caribbean country of Antigua and Barbuda, quote, is just the beginning. Lisa tried what are beaches, but they were looking for the beach. So that turned into a triple stumper. Is it because they needed the slogan? That's my guess. Verbatim? Yeah, the beach is just the beginning. Yeah. 
I get that. That would be my guess. Yeah. Which is tough because that is very specific. Yeah. Daily double number one is in Dude Here's Your Car at the $1,000 level. Ilhana finds it uh, pick number 15. She's at 2200 Kyle and Lisa are tied at negative 200 She makes it a true daily double. I guess if she misses, she'll still be in, be the, in lead. the lead. Yep. <laughs> and she gets a clue. Lamborghini's Sesto Elemento was named for its pioneering use of this, from which much of the car is made. And she tries aluminum, but they were looking for carbon. Sesto Elemento means the sixth element. Mm-hmm. And a six is carbon's atomic number so in fact she does drop to zero but keeps the lead but she doesn't have the lead by the time we head into double jeopardy at that point kyle is up at 2200 with ilhana right behind him at 1800 lisa is down at negative 600 and the double jeopardy categories are presidential doings numerical literature landmarks of great britain famous siblings barriers and dividers and verbs with v in quotation marks yes we only had a couple of correct answers in the $2,000 row. Mm, yeah. Yeah. There there were a good number of triple stumpers. This was a low scoring game just overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was controversy at the $1,600 level of presidential doings. The clue was had a cold, went out to buy veggies anyway, got pneumonia, died before 31st full day on the job. And Kyle got in. He kind of mumbled Henry, I guess, and really just clearly said Harrison and was not prompted to be more specific. He should have been. Which, for presidents, there are... Not that Kyle is bitter. (laughs) There there are a few, when you give the last name, that you do need to be more specific. Roosevelt. Roosevelt or Adams. Adams. Harrison. Bush. Johnson. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. I believe that's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> All the rest of them, there was only one. Mm-hmm. Which Kennedy, though? Yeah. So, like, I don't know. The one the that was one shot after was... he was elected. Uh-huh. Like, I like what do you want from me? <laughs> yeah, so he, sh- he should have gotten prompted for specificity there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. As he actually was at the $400 level, made Henry Clay Secretary of State two years after the White House settled into a new House of Representatives. He said Adams. Mayim prompted him more specific. He tried who is John Adams. That's not correct. And then Ilhana got the rebound with John Quincy Adams. Yeah, that's the tricky thing. Like, Because John Adams is not actually incorrect, except that we have one who is known simply as John Adams. Right. Right, because his name is John Adams. Except yes. there's one that we know of more as John. It's right. Yeah, exactly. It's a very weird case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways, you could consider John Quincy Adams as yet another layer of more specific. Right. Except, but, <laughs> except that um, except that if they prompted it at that as be more specific, it would be like effectively really allowing two guesses. Yeah. Yeah. I felt for Kyle at the $2,000 level of landmarks of Great Britain. Facing France, the White Cliffs of Dover are along the coast of this county. He rang in and said, what is Dover? I thought I saw him realize that Dover was in the in the clue. clue so it, that wasn't going to be correct. Right. But, you know, I wonder if he like zeroed in on White Cliffs and was like, ah, White Cliffs, Dover, you know, Gotta and be. like missed that it was 
already there, so it had to be something else. Could be. Yeah, Kent. Kent County is the county for those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in the landmarks of Great Britain, right above that at the $1,600 level. Pick number six. Kyle finds this one. He is at 3800 Ilana is at 2600 Lisa is at 600 And he wagers 2000 Gets the clue. It's been peering down on the capital from its 32 rotating capsules for two decades. Wow, that's true. Mm. He gets it correct with what is the London Eye. Yeah. It has been that long. Yeah. And Daily Double number three is in verbs at the $2,000 level. Ilhana finds it pick number 24. She's at 7,000 with Kyle at 10,200 and Lisa at 2,600. Uh, she wagers 3,000. I think I'd probably go a little bigger here. Maybe that will put her not quite in the lead. Yeah. Um, there's 6,400 left on the board and time left in the round. So I guess maybe taking the lead in this particular clue maybe is not essential, but I don't know. Wagering to take the lead, I feel like is a good strategy if you can anyway she gets the clue from latin for love it means to regard with devotion or reverence and she gets it correct it is venerate so that puts her up and she does manage to grab the lead going into final jeopardy by just 200 dollars. she's at 10,400 kyle's at 10,200 lisa is at 4,600 the final jeopardy category is sports and the movies and the clue is a Gina Davis Institute study found shortly after a 2012 franchise film's release, women's participation in this sport rose 105%. This is a triple stumper. Lisa guessed what is softball. I wagered $45.99. Not sure what movie she's thinking of there. Kyle guessed what is baseball. I also don't, can't think specifically what movie. No, so they're they're zeroing in on Gina Davis, who is in oh, the Gina of their Davis. own. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's also the direction I headed. I was like, I don't know what the 2012 movie is, but Gina Davis was in a league of their own, so that must be what this is about. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. That's also incorrect. He wagered 9,800, so he drops to 400. And Ilana wrote, "What is tennis?" That's also incorrect, but she wagered nothing. Yeah. The correct answer is archery. Referring to the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. The Gina Davis Institute apparently is a research organization that focuses on gender representation in media. Hmm. But I, I went for the same mislead. Yeah. There. I, yeah. It makes sense when you mm-hmm. explain it. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings us to Thursday, where our contestants are Eva Thomas, an attorney from Brooklyn, New York, Jared Watson, a quality control specialist from Greenville, Texas, and Ilhana Rejvik an investment associate from Chicago, Illinois, whose two-day cash winnings total $30,800. And the Jeopardy round categories are biopics, the operettas of Gilbert and Sullivan, three things about the city, sweet spots, stuff to wear, and be nice with B in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. There was also controversy at the $1,000 level of sweet spots. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The clue was mm. founded in Paris. Laudre. Lottery, yeah. offers I mean, these filled cookies in a rainbow of colors and flavors, including orange blossom. And Jared rang in and said, "What are macaroons?" That's that's not right. Yeah, I, but um, he was ruled correct, and Mayim said, "Yes, are macarons." 
Yes. Andy on the Jeopardy fan disagreed with the judge's ruling here, and I, I strongly disagree. There are two entirely separate kinds of cookie, one of which is called macaroons and the other which mm -hmm. is called macarons. One is like a like a they're very different. One is like the coconut kind of chewy thing. And the other is like the like the delicate French sandwich cookie thing. Mm -hmm. Two different cookies with different pronunciations. I understand there's a lot of confusion about the pronunciation of macarons. And I've heard people pronounce it as macaroons. But, but that's not right. I, that's that's not. It's a different thing. Yeah. Right. Like John Adams is a different president than John Quincy Adams. Right. Exactly. They just got this one wrong, I think. Yep. I, I agree. I'm glad we all agree. Wholeheartedly. I wish the judges would agree. Also. I wonder I wonder why they didn't like overturn it. The, like, yeah, because that's a couple of instances where I don't know if it was Mayim just jumping ahead, like not, I yeah. know, not getting it right. Yeah, it's interesting because that's a thousand dollars and he did get it wrong. Right? right. It's not that it's just like not specific enough. It's a different thing. Right. Mm -hmm. To change gears, the $800 level of biopics game theory mathematician John Nash was the subject of this biopic. Eva got it. It's a beautiful mind that came up in the tournament champions and comes up an awful lot. Yes. Jeopardy. They like to talk mind. about that one. Mm -hmm. They love John Nash specifically mm -hmm. in reference to the movie. Yeah. I don't know that they ask about John Nash all that much. Otherwise. Mm -hmm. Mathematician game theory. Yeah. John Nash. Like that's Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I played violin in the Harvard Radcliffe Gilbert and Sullivan Society for much of my college career. So fun. that whole that whole category. Oh yes, it was it was fun. That whole category was fun for me. The eight hundred dollar level is not as well known, I guess, mm -hmm. among the operettas of Gilbert and Sullivan, but it is well known to me. Sure. <laughs> in an eighteen eighty nine operetta that begins in Venice, Marco and Giuseppe are two of these title boatmen. Those are the gondoliers. Mm -hmm. Um, that was one of the first Gilbert and Sullivan operettas where I was in the pit orchestra. And nice. uh, yeah, so I know that one well. So Daily Double number one is at the thousand dollar level of that category. It's pick number 25. Jared finds it. He's at 600. Elana's at 7,800. And Eva's at 6,400. He wagers a thousand. Gets the clue. Despite never having been to sea, Sir Joseph Porter is rule of the Queen's Navy in this ship shape favorite. And when I just have to kind of rattle off a Gilbert and Sullivan thing, I always get these two mixed up. We had Pirates of Penzance at the $600 level. This is HMS Pinafore and Jared has no idea. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So he drops back down. Actually, he goes to the negative. He yeah. When Mayim gave the correct response, I felt like I saw him be like, oh, yes, I've heard of that, you know? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. If you're a Simpsons fan, uh, Sideshow Bob, I believe, mm. sings from HMS Pinafore. Yes. Anyway, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Alana's at 7,400, Jared is at negative 200, Eva's at 7,000, and the double Jeopardy categories are bio picks. Biology pictures. Biology <laughs> pictures. Uh, second book in the series, Man O' War with man in quotation marks, Potpourri, TV, and Not Your Everyday Words. Mm-hmm. We had that category title when we played Jeopardy. Potpourri. Not your everyday Not words. Not your everyday words. Right? Yeah. Didn't we? I think we did. I think so. Something, Something like, like that. that. Yeah. 
second book in the series, we had a rebound, a miss and rebound at the $400 level. Mm -hmm. Uh, The clue was A Clash of Kings. Eva rang in and said, what is a song of fire and ice? And Jared got the rebound with a song of ice and fire. Eva just reversed those two uh, words. Do you think they would have taken Game of Thrones? I don't think so, because that's the name of the TV series. Yeah, but the but first the... book is called A Game of Thrones, and they did take the girl with the dragon tattoo in lieu of the Millennium the series. Okay. All right. You know, maybe. Maybe they would have. If they were going to do that on other series, then maybe they would have. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, they should have if they took it on a different series. Right. They, they should be consistent with that. Yeah, I agree. The $2,000 level of not your everyday words. From the Greek for interpreter, this plural word is the branch of theology dealing with the interpretation of biblical texts. Nobody tried that one. It is hermeneutics. That's one of those words that comes up a lot for me, Mm -hmm. and I forget that people don't know it. Doesn't come up a lot in my circles. Yeah. Or life at all. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, hermeneutics has to do with like, what are your guiding principles for interpretation, right? Like, what is your mm-hmm. your approach, your angle? Yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. The $800 level of potpourri. Pouring out for, the, for Mr. This gone too soon in 2001? It was first name Peppo, but Dr. Pepper's lawyers had issue with that. Mr. Pibb? There's no way Mr. Pibb was gone in 2001. Is that- that can't be right. Introduced in 2001 as Pib Extra. Okay. So Pib Extra is still sold. Okay. Okay. So it's not Mr. Pib anymore. Mm-hmm. It's Pib Extra. Okay. That was my confusion because I was like, I can't be making it up that I have had that drink sometime in the last 22 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I've had that drink ever. Oh, it's, I mean, it's just Dr. Pepper, but by the uh, the other company nothing is dr pepper except for dr pepper don't don't i guess i have not a single leg to stand on here having just said i've never tried this <laughs> it's the same it's the it's the combination of flavors yeah basically the same mm-hmm. and then just above that always got to mention the horrific backstory of chuck e cheese charles entertainment <laughs> cheese nolan bushnell Covered a lot of ground founding both Atari and this kid's pizza place chain with a rodent mascot. Yeah, that's Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. Have you heard about all of the ghost kitchens that sprang up during COVID-19 on Mm -hmm. like meal delivery sites that are actually Mm -hmm. Chuck E. Cheese pizza? Yeah. 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 Antonio's Pizza Palace or whatever. Yeah. It's just Mm -hmm. Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. Because I mean, (laughs) trying to stay open, I guess. But nobody's going to order pizza from Chuck E. Cheese. Right. Can you imagine the shame <laughs> of seeing a Chuck E. Cheese delivery driver pull up to your door and all the neighbors are just like, oh, yeah. I know we haven't been able to talk in person in a while, but the depths to which you have fallen. Yeah. Uh-huh. And when this pandemic is over, we are not sending our kids next door. <laughs> they order Chuck E. Cheese pizza. Daily Double number two is in Man o' War at the $1,600 level. Pick number 11, Jared finds it. He is at 4200 
with Ilhana at 5,000 and Eva at 12,200. He wagers 3,000 this time, and he gets the clue. Appropriately, noted clockmaker Aaron Williard was one of these colonial militiamen, and he says he's 0 for 2. They're looking for a Minuteman here. Yep. So, yeah, he has lost 4,000 in daily doubles so far but he finds daily double number three as well pick number 17 and not your everyday words at the 1600 dollars level so he hit all three he's at 6400 alana's at 5000 he was at 13800 he wagers 2000 gets a clue in a wrinkle in time meg scientist dad likes to extend meg into this nickname equal to 3.26 million light years and he gets it right with what's a mega parsec yes so makes a little bit of that back that's right. He's still overall down on daily doubles, but not as much so as he had been. So, hey, mm-hmm. that's good. And so at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Eva's in the lead with 16,200. Jared's at 11,600. Ilana's at 4,600. And the final Jeopardy category is country names. And our contestants get the clue, the first current country to include its particular religion in its full name. It also has that religion in the name of its capital. Ilana tries what is Pakistan, and that is correct. Yes, Islamabad is the capital of the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, which I did not realize that was the full name of the country. So Mm. I thought about Islamabad and then kind of moved along. Yeah. (laughs) But hey, good for Ilana. She waited everything, 4,600, so that puts her at 9,200. Jared got it correct as well with what is Pakistan and a 2,400 wager, which takes him up to 14,000. And Eva missed this one. She guessed what is Oman. She wagered 5,599, which is not quite a cover bet, right? I think she needed to go the other way. Yeah. She needed to go 6,001. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm not sure what, what that difference there was. Yeah. Probably just like an arithmetic flub, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't really matter either way, because that drops her down to 10,601, which gives Jared the win. And on Friday, we have the contestants Sylvia Izzo-Hunter, a marketing manager from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Zhong Lim, a retired software developer from Glen Allen, Virginia, and Jared Watson, a quality control specialist from Greenville, Texas, whose one-day cash winnings total $14,000 even. It's rare now that we get such mm, a yeah. nice, nice clean number. The Jeopardy round categories are you have selected regicide. <laughs> I don't know if that's a reference to something, but I like it. Ohio geography, garden party, their middle initial, Sports stars calling it quits and internal organs and other body parts. So there is a body part that is part of the answer. As in the $200 clue, to leap down into water, you take it when you make a quick decision. That's a plunge and that has a lung inside of it, is my understanding of how this category works. Mm-hmm. A slow moving person, like a certain mollusk, that's a snail. It has nail. In it. Hmm. I was Googling you have selected regicide, which this podcast probably makes my, my Google history kind of weird, but it's a, it's a deep cut Simpsons reference. Oh, nice. 
Yeah, season six, episode one, Bard of Darkness. Uh, selected regicide. Hello okay. and welcome to the Springfield Police Department rescue phone. If you know the name of a felony being committed, press one. To choose from a list of felonies, press two. If you are being murdered or are calling from a rotary phone, please stay on the line. Or <laughs> press is a button. You have selected regicide. If you know the name of the king or queen being murdered, press one. <laughs> <laughs> it is an obscure simpsons quote from what like the early 90s when did the simpsons premiere 91 1989 89 okay mid 90s mid 90s yeah yeah that is excellent yeah i love that so much <laughs> good on um, that writer for being like this is a thing i remember and yeah. now everyone else will remember it Apparently, you have selected regicide. Also, is the name of a quest in Final Fantasy fourteen? Oh, really? Which would, would probably be, also be a would that reference. be a Simpsons reference? I assume Pro- probably. So, right? Final Fantasy fourteen is rather recent. Yeah, I would think that's a, a Simpsons reference, given how weirdly obscure it is. Yeah, and specific. Mm-hmm. I did like that regicide category, though. Those are good. Oh clothes. yeah, I, yeah, it was, it was a good category. Just well done all around. Mm -hmm. I wonder how long that writer has been sitting on that particular (laughs) idea. Yeah. Did you do... Caligula definitely connects with a deep dive. Did you do a Caligula deep dive or did he just like fit in somewhere? I can't remember. I thought you did Caligula. Oh, I did not do Caligula. Well, I think. I don't know. Did I did I do um, Caligula and then forget <clears throat> everything? I'm like, but I barely know anything about Caligula. I remember it means little boot, right? Yes. That's all I remember. I did, did a triumvirate deep dive. God, it's getting it's getting so hard to remember now. We've done so many of these. Yeah. Um, which means we might end up going back and doing a topic again. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, on accident, you know. Episode yeah. sixty three. You did a deep dive. On Caligula. Did I really? Are you, you kidding really me? did. I'm not kidding you. You've done oh it. Oh my God. <laughs> Clearly, I don't remember anything about it. What did I talk about? Well, I need to go back and listen to our Caligula. <laughs> well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I know what I'm doing my deep dive on this week. <laughs> uh, yeah. Daily double number one is in Ohio geography at the 800 dollar level jared finds it at pick number 22 he's at six thousand. jong is at 2200 sylvia is at 2000 jared wagers 3000 and gets the clue once home to several tire companies this city takes its name from the greek for highest point and he tries olympus but they're looking for akron akron ohio yes no like acropolis yes same Mm mm-hmm so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Jared is at 4,200. Jung and Sylvia are tied at 2,400. And the double Jeopardy categories are inventors and inventions, women authors, state of the union. Tell us in which of the 50 states each wedding took place, Mime explains. It's a fact, animal rock, and words ending in Y. The $400 clue there of state of the union had two incorrect answers joe jonas and sophie turner at the little white wedding chapel an elvis impersonator officiated jared guessed what's tennessee which i guess if you're thinking it's graceland Graceland? yeah i guess and then john guessed what is las vegas which is not a state 
Right. Sylvia picked it up with Nevada. That's right. There are a lot of words that end in Y. I did not think that that category title was particularly helpful. Yeah. Like, I guess you can check, does this end in Y? Yes. Many words in English end Mm -hmm. in Y. Yeah. Good on Sylvia for the $2,000 level. The life story of a saint. It has come to mean an admiring or idealized chronicle of anyone that is a hagiography. How do people pronounce that? I was going to ask you that because like the Hagia Sophia is just pronounced like yeah Hagia, <laughs> right? Even though it has all those letters. Yeah. A hard G, I think, is like consistent with kind of the Greek pronunciation I was taught. Mm-hmm. I think the Hagia Sophia, it's a little complicated because, you know, the language spoken in that region now is Turkish. Yeah. It has morphed into its own thing. Yeah. Hagiography is what I would go for. And also seems to be what Google thinks is the correct pronunciation. So well, anyway, always trust Google. Yeah, always. You can't always trust Google. I know you know that. Don't you dare. I don't know if he comes up disproportionately. But the $1,200 level of It's a Fact, he came up with the name Kodak. Jared got that. That's George Eastman. If you're learning some some business names that might come up in Jeopardy. Eastman he, is a good one. Eastman's a really good one. He comes up a fair bit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Daily Double number two is in the women authors category at the $1,200 level. Pick number 15, Sylvia uncovers it. She is at... 8,000. Jared's at 9,800. Zhang is at 3,600. She wagers 1,500 just to get on that odd number Mm -hmm. Uh, and gets a clue. After the success of this classic about Francie Nolan and her impoverished New York family, Betty Smith co-wrote a musical based on it. And she got it correct with what is a tree grows in Brooklyn. And Daily Double number three is in words ending in Y at the $1,200 level as well. Jared finds this one. Pick number 23. He is in the lead with 14,600. Zhang is at 1,600. <laughs> Sylvia is at 9,500. He wagers 2,000, and his clue is it's the branch of a government that oversees the application of laws. And he gets it correct. It's the judiciary. My brain automatically goes to judicial branch. Yeah. But uh-huh. that doesn't end in Y. So I guess my gripe about the uh, category title is not valid here. Mm hmm. At the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Jared is in a good lead at 20,600. Shang is at 2,400. Sylvia is at 12,300. And the final Jeopardy category is 20th Century America. And the clue is in bold letters. It was the two-word historic New York Times headline for August 9th, 1974, followed by, quote, he urges a time of healing. Zhang missed it by a couple of days, I think. He wrote, what is Nixon pardoned? That is mm-hmm. incorrect. And he wagered 2,000, dropped to 400. Sylvia wrote, what is Carter defeated? That wouldn't have been until mm-hmm. 1980, I believe. Mm-hmm. Carter lost to Reagan. And she wagered 8,301. And Jared got it correct with what is Nixon resigns and made a cover bet of 2,401. So he wins his second game. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to the end of the week. So this is the point in the show where we inform you in case you didn't know that we have a 
Patreon. It is patreon.com slash potentpotables. You can go there to support us financially and get some exclusive content. We like to put quiz questions up. I forgot. I broke the streak. It's okay. That just means we can start a new streak. Yeah. (laughs) Starting hopefully today, which reminds me I should just open Patreon. Yeah, you can go there to support us financially and maybe get some exclusive content. Maybe not. You know, who knows? That's not really why you go there, of course. You don't go for you. You go there for us. And uh, yeah, that's patreon.com slash potentpotables. If you, however, think that there are more important things in this world, which there are, we encourage you to check out the causes that we have in the show notes that we feel are useful and good. Mm -hmm. So it is deep dive time, Emily. Yes. What topic am I discursing today? That's a great question. That's the one that I thought I should consider. I don't think you want to talk about it, though. But maybe, maybe you made yourself anyway, because it was a final jeopardy. Are we talking about the lake poets? We are not talking about the lake poets. All right. What about Manfred von Richthofen? Richthofen? Manfred von Richthofen? The Red Baron? Of course we are. Yes. You did it. We're talking about the Red Baron. Good, because I really didn't think you were going to go for HMS Pinafore. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I like it fine in the, you know, every 10 years that I encounter it. Anyway, we're talking about the Red Baron. Yes. I thought von we von might be. This is from the Thursday game, the Man of War category. The $1,200 level is a triple stumper. Lothar von Richthofen was a noted World War One ace. His brother named this was more famous. Alana guessed, what's Red Baron? Jared guessed, who is Eric von Richthofen, but that's Manfred von Richthofen. And that is who we are talking about today. So I'll give a little bit about his life, a little bit about World War One, and uh, there we go. Really not, I actually won't give much about World War One because that's a whole big topic that we've kind of sort of talked about a little bit, but here we go. Manfred von Richthofen. Manfred Albrecht Freiherr von Richthofen was known as the Red Baron. He was a fighter pilot with the German Air Force during World War I, and he is considered the ace of aces of the war, being officially credited with 80 air combat victories. That is a lot. He began as a cavalryman, and he transferred to the air service in 1915, becoming one of the first members of the fighter squadron Jagdstaffel II. Jagdstaffel Spy, I guess, in 1916. Mm -hmm. And he quickly distinguished himself. And he later became leader of Yasta 11 and then a larger fighter wing, Jagdgeschwader, (laughs) also known as the Flying Circus or Richthofen Circus. They were widely regarded as the the best pilots and like involved in the war. He was a Freiherr, which literally means free lord, it's a title of nobility often translated as baron. So he was not actually a baron per se in the like, I guess, traditional sense. But because of that title he had, he was referred to as the Red Baron. He was born in Kleinberg in Lower Silesia, which is now part of Poland on May 2nd, 1892 to a Prussian aristocratic family. His father was Major Albrecht Philip Karl Julius Freiherr von Richthofen, 
and his mother was Kunigunda von Schickfuss und Neudorf. Man, I love these names. Uh, when he was four years old, they moved to Schweidnitz, which is also now in Poland. He enjoyed riding horses and hunting. He was also a very good gymnast, apparently. He was educated at home for a while, then he attended a school at Schweidnitz before becoming a cadet at the Wallstadt, which is still in Poland. Now, of course, this was part of like the German states at that time when he was 11. And in 1911, he joined the Uhlan Cavalry Unit and was assigned to the regiment's number three squadron. World War I began, of course, in 1914. And like I said, he served as a cavalryman as part of the reconnaissance on both Eastern and Western fronts. So he saw action in Russia and France and Belgium. However, with the advent of trench warfare, cavalry operations became quickly inefficient and his regiment was dismounted. He was bored and disappointed. And so he applied to transfer to the air service known later as the Luftstreikhafte. He wrote in his application, I have not gone to war in order to collect cheese and eggs, but for another purpose. So he was flying by the end of May 1915. He served as an observer on reconnaissance missions over the Eastern Front in the summer of 1915. And in August, he was transferred to a flying unit at Ostend, a coastal city in Belgium. He was taught to fly solo there and later transferred to Briefbalden on the Champagne Front. That was where he first was believed to have shot down an attacking French aircraft uh, aboard an Albatross C-1 fighter. He was not credited with the kill, but since it fell behind Allied lines and therefore could not be confirmed, but that was widely considered his first one. Uh, he had a chance meeting with the German ace fighter pilot Oswald Bolke, which led him to enter training as a pilot in 1915. So when he joined, he was a an observer. So he like sat in the back of a two man plane. And so in October of 1915, he started pilot training to be a solo flyer. In February of 1916, he rescued his brother Lothar from the boredom of training new troops in Lubin hmm. and encouraged him to transfer to the Fliegertruppe as well. He then joined the number two bomb squadron flying in a two seater Albatross C Mark III. And initially he appeared to be a below average pilot, but he over time and fairly quickly attuned to his aircraft and he was over Verdun on the 26th of April 1916 when he fired on a French Nieuport, which is a type of biplane that the, the Allies were using, shooting it down over Fort Domal. And he also didn't receive credit for that. He met Bolka again in August of 1916 after another spell of flying two-seaters on the Eastern Front. And Bolka was searching for candidates to join his newly formed Yasta squadron and he selected richthofen to be one of those pilots it was one of the first german fighter squadrons bolka was killed during a mid-air collision with a friendly aircraft on 28th of october 1916 richthofen scored his first confirmed victory when he engaged second lieutenant lionel morris and his observer tom reese in the skies over cambrai 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 no idea cambrai france c-a-m-b-r-a-i in september of 1916 After that first victory, he contacted a jeweler in Berlin and ordered a silver cup engraved with the date and type of enemy aircraft that he had downed. And he celebrated each of his subsequent victories in the same manner until he had 60 cups, by which time the dwindling supply of silver in blockaded Germany meant that he could no longer get silver cups. And he stopped that practice rather than make cups out of base metal, because of course he is a fancy boy. 
His brother Lothar, who had 40 victories of his own, used risky, aggressive tactics, but Manfred was much more careful and meticulous in his approach. He was a noted tactician and squadron leader. In November of 1916, Richthofen shot down his most famous adversary, the British ace major Leno Hawker, and the victory came while Richthofen was flying an Albatross D2, and Hawker was flying an older DH2. It was a long dogfight, but it ended when Hawker was shot in the back of the head as he attempted to escape back to his own lines. After this combat, Richthofen was convinced that he needed a fighter aircraft with more agility, even if that meant a loss of speed. So he switched to an Albatross D3, scored a couple of victories with that before suffering an in-flight crack in the spar of the aircraft's lower wing, and he went back to an Albatross II for a couple of weeks. Richthofen was flying on the 6th of March when his aircraft was shot through the fuel tank by Edwin Benbow. It's amazing to me how they have such records of like who shot who, mm-hmm. um, who was credited with a victory from this fight. Richthofen was able to make a force landing without his aircraft catching fire. So he did get shot down technically, but he didn't like obviously didn't die then. He got back into an Albatross D3, which matters to people who care about planes on April 2nd, 1917 and scored 22 victories in that one. And it was in late July 1917 that he got into probably the best known plane of his, the Fokker triplane or DR-1. It's a three-winged aircraft, like I said, which he is most commonly associated with. Only 19 of his 80 kills were made in this type of aircraft, but this was the one that if there's imagery of the Red Baron, it's going to be in in a Fokker. (laughs) F-O-K-K-E-R. He received the Pour le Merite, which is strange to me that it's in French. The highest military honor in Germany at the time, known as the Blue Max. He received that in January 1917 after his 16th confirmed kill. He was then given a command of the Yasta 11, which is a an elite squadron of German pilots. And when he became the squadron commander, he had his albatross painted red because he was feeling all high and mighty. Then the other members of his squadron also took to painting parts of their craft red. The official reason seems to have been to make their leader less conspicuous. Because if your leader is just like bright red, obviously he's going to draw attention. So it became kind of like a standard practice then that the, uh, those elite fighters would decorate their planes with red. Bloody April of 1917 is the name of his unit's unparalleled success. In that month alone, he shot down to 22 British craft including four in a single day, and his his unit continued to also do well. Although Richthofen was performing the duties of a lieutenant colonel, which would be a wing commander in the Royal Air Force, he was never promoted past the junior rank of Rittmeister, which is like a captain in the army. Apparently in the German army, it was not unusual for a wartime officer to hold a lower rank because they were promoted on a schedule rather than like based on merit or like responsibility. Also, it was custom for a son to not hold a higher rank than his father, and his father was a reserve major. Richthofen sustained a serious head wound on the 6th of July in 1917 during combat near Vervik, Belgium, against uh, Royal Air Force fighters. He kind of like slammed his head against the steering compartment, caused instant disorientation, 
and temporary partial blindness. He was able to ease the aircraft out of a spin and make a force landing in friendly territory, but he had multiple operations to remove bone splinters from the impact area. He returned to active service against doctor's orders on the 25th of July, but then had to take convalescent leave in September and October. His wound is thought to have caused lasting damage, and he often later suffered from post-flight nausea and headaches. During his convalescent leave, he completed an autobiographical sketch, Der Rota Kampflinger, the Red Battle Flyer. However, it was heavily censored and edited before it became public. By 1918, he had become such a legend that it was feared that his death would be a blow to the morale of the German people. He refused to accept a ground job after his wound, stating that every poor fellow in the trenches must do his duty, and therefore he would continue to fly in combat. The British put out squadrons specifically to hunt the Red Baron and offered large rewards and an automatic Victoria Cross to any Allied pilot who shot him down. So Richthofen received a fatal wound just after 11 a.m. on the 21st of April 1918 while flying over Moreland Court Ridge near the Somme River. He had been pursuing at very low altitude a Sopwith Camel, piloted by Canadian novice Wilfred Reed May um, of the Royal Air Force. May had just fired on the Red Baron's cousin, Lieutenant Wolfram von Richthofen, who was also apparently a pilot. Richthofen flew in to rescue his cousin, which caused May to pull away, and Richthofen pursued him across the Somme. He was spotted and briefly attacked by another camel, piloted by Canadian Captain Arthur Roy Brown. Richthofen managed to avoid this attack and then continued his pursuit of May. During this final stage of the pursuit, a single bullet hit Richthofen through the chest, severely damaging his heart and lungs, which would have killed him in less than a minute. His aircraft stalled, went to a dive, and crashed in a field near Bray Corby Road. The number three squadron of the Australian Flying Corps was the nearest Allied unit and assumed responsibility for the Baron's remains, and his body was buried in the cemetery at the village of Bertangu, near Amin, mm-hmm. by Allied troops. and. They put memorial wreaths on his grave, one of them inscribed with the words, to our gallant and worthy foe. Mm. His Fokker plane was soon taken apart by souvenir hunters. Richthofen's death certificate simply says that he died on the 21st of April 1918 from wounds sustained in combat. There's debate over who fired the shot that killed Richthofen. Obviously, it couldn't have been May because he was being chased. Roy Brown, Arthur Roy Brown may or may not have actually managed to land a bullet on the Red Baron. It's unlikely that he did, though, given the trajectory of the bullet. It's most likely that it came from the ground from an anti-aircraft machine gun. There are some theories about the last combat, like why would he have gotten in such danger? But, you know, some people point to the winds being abnormal and you know unpredictable some people point to his wound his head head injury and cumulative combat stress which may have made him fail to observe his usual precautions nobody knows we yeah. just know that he died uh his body in 1925 was recovered and returned to germany so that's that's the red baron he died in the war he was shot down so he he did not he was not one of those famous people who made it through and then had a long life after after the thing that made him famous. He he died in 1918 not terribly long before the end of the war. Mm. 
Yeah. So there we have it. Yeah. That is so much more than I previously knew about the Red Baron. Yeah. So thank you. This has been very informative. You are welcome. Are you ready for a quiz? Yes. Good, because I have one. It's not really themed. It's just like, Red Baron. What can I come up with based on the idea of Red Baron? I was sort of hoping that maybe we would head toward a frozen pizza themed quiz. Hmm. Interesting. (laughs) Question one. The Red Baron pizza brand (laughs) Ah! is part of what larger food company? Oh, I'll I'll say it again. It's part of what larger food company? It began as a family owned business in Minnesota, and you may recognize their refrigerated trucks and their logo, which includes a waterfowl with a similar sounding name. They also own the Freshetta and Tony's pizza brands. Huh. I don't know about you, but I see these trucks around all the time. And maybe it's just the region that I live in. But... That may be regional. Waterfowl with a similar sounding name. Yes. Wait. Similar sounding name to what? To the name of the company. Okay. So the name of the company is very similar to the name of the bird. All right, got it. I was like, similar to truck? Is it a duck? I don't think I know what company. I may have to guess a waterfowl and hope that it's close enough if I can't think of a company. I was fully prepared to just say mallard and hope for the best. And then I started trying to run through waterfowl and something about swans is fitting. I think maybe I'm thinking of Swanson who I think are like significant in the history of frozen dinners. <laughs> God, trivia is so weird. Uh, but sw- swans, swan, swans, Swanson, swans, Swanson. I'm going to go. Uh, I'll go with swans. It is you're, you. You are on the right bird, uh, but it is Schwans. Schwans. S C H W A N. Schwans. Okay, I was not I close enough. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever encountered that, but I have not. Interesting. Well, maybe okay. I have. Maybe I have because, like, there was part of me that was like, I know Swanson is a thing. I should switch to Swanson, but I was having this like, no, but Swans. So it maybe maybe I've encountered it, and you know that's that's kind of what I was recalling. Sure. But I have no conscious memory of Schwans. Mm-hmm. We have yeah, we have Schwans trucks driving around all the time. They look kind of like ice cream trucks, but they're like delivery. Anyway, all right. So I got the frozen pizza in there. There so, we go. Yeah. <laughs> Question two: Empire Earth is a real-time strategy game from two thousand one which bears many similarities to Age of Empires, if you know that game. In the single-player German campaign setting, your first four missions include the Red Baron as your playable hero. What publisher, whose name means mountain range in Spanish and is known for point-and-click adventure games, released Empire Earth? You know, I don't know the game, but point-and-click adventure games makes me think of Sierra, and I don't know for sure that Sierra means... It, it, that must be it. I'm going to say Sierra. It is Sierra. Very good. Yeah. Love those old point-and-click adventure games. Yeah. For anybody who does really enjoy those old point-and-click adventure games, there is a series from a streamer on Twitch 
uh, named Day Nine, who him and a couple of his buddies from like grad school, they all did like game design together. They go back and play through old adventure games, and it is some of the funniest things I've ever seen. That sounds. I think they started with King's Quest Six, and it was like. Oh, King's Quest Six! It blew my mind with how absurd the game was and how funny they made it. It's like uh-huh. you can find it on YouTube if you go to Day Nine's YouTube channel. Just, just shouting out! It's it's a series called Mostly Walking, and it's so good. It is yeah. so good. Anyway, yeah, it is Sierra. You got it. All right, you're up to twenty points. Nice. Yay. Question three: Known in English as Baron Saturday, who is the master of death in Haitian voodoo? He is often portrayed in a top hat, glasses, and face paint that resembles a skull. He has appeared as a character in lots of different media, including the James Bond film Live and Let Die, and Dr. Facilier from The Princess and the Frog is somewhat based on him. Now I was so close to saying Dr. Facilier. I will say he's known as Baron What in like the voodoo tradition. Yeah. Okay. I don't think that I know this figure's name. If he's Baron Saturday in English and he's from the voodoo tradition, which I think is sort of centered in Francophone cultures, I'm going to take a long shot guess because I do know the French word for Saturday. So Baron Samedi or something like that. Wow, that's really good. Yes. <laughs> it's Baron Samedi or Baron Samedi or somebody or like variations but yeah nice i first heard it as baron samidi i don't know if that's even close to correct um but yeah you got it nice nice yeah the master of death and also like a giver of life in some traditions also francois duvalier known as papa doc the president for life of haiti kind of modeled his own appearance and cult of personality on baron samidi mm. so yeah, it's a common uh, like vision. Like you'll yeah. you'll see that a lot if you like like that kind of person portrayed. Yeah. Cool. Nice. You are at thirty points. Question four. Another video game question. Barony is a first-person game released by Turning Wheel LLC in 2018. Players have a base in which they can make upgrades before diving into a dungeon and seeing how far they can get before dying and trying again. Hades, Dead Cells, and Darkest Dungeon fit into the same category of games, which is known as what? Oh, you told me this and I remember it. It's roguelite or it something is. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take it. Roguelite, roguelike. Yeah. Very nice. Nice. I remember us talking about it. And as I wrote this, I was like, I wonder if she remembers us talking about it. I do. <laughs> yeah. 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 Roguelikes, roguelites, depending on, I don't know. I've heard people say it both ways. I think roguelike is more common, but it might just be a mm-hmm. mispronunciation, but yeah. yeah. They're all variations on the original game of Rogue, which is where that comes from. Very nice. Uh, you're at 40 points. Yes? Yes, Yay! you're at 40 points. Yes, I'm Question at 40 five. This is going on my list of things I need to read. Back in the USSA is a collection of short stories by Eugene Byrne and Kim Newman in which the United States becomes a communist superpower after a second American revolution in the 1910s. The Red Baron makes an appearance, aiding Mexican forces that are invading Texas during that revolution. The result is an authoritarian rule by a new socialist order under the leadership of what real-life leader of the Socialist Party for America? Ooh, 
1910s socialist trying to remember the names from my Emma Goldman deep dive. I don't think that Emma Goldman is the, is the name here. The name that's coming up for me is Eugene Debs. He might not be the right one. I'm not even a hundred percent sure he was socialist or if he was like in like related movements. And that's why I'm thinking of him, but I'll go with that. I'll go with Eugene Debs. Eugene V. Debs is correct. Yes. Well done. Yeah. Reading the synopsis of that, because I was just like looking through Red Baron and popular culture things. Mm -hmm. And I saw that synopsis. I was like, that's interesting. I looked a little more into it. And it's like, it's a series of, like I said, short stories. And basically, it's like the Soviet Union, but in the United States with a bunch of like people of American 20th century history in like corollaries to Soviet figures mm. like Debs is basically like Lenin Al Capone is like Stalin like he takes over and kind of ousts Debs apparently and has like a cult of personality it's it it looks fascinating mm. I hope it's well written because I do want to read it <laughs> yeah that sounds that sounds cool hey I, I looked up roguelike versus roguelite and roguelite is a, a subgenre or like a slight variation of roguelike games. Okay. And okay. the difference is, do you completely reset to zero every time you die? Ah, and the gotcha. only progression is like you, the player, have a better sense of what to do, I guess. Or is there some kind of progress that is gotcha. retained? So Hades is a roguelite Yes. Because you maintain progress as you go. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Good to know. Thank you. Yeah. That's that's good. All right. You're at 50 points. And the final category is comics. All right. I guess I had better wager all 50. Probably a good choice. I put the easiest one last, I think. Cool. The Red Baron's arch nemesis is what anthropomorphic canine? Arch nemesis might be a strong word, considering this World War I flying ace never actually shot the Baron down, despite his aviation prowess and the capabilities of his, albeit oddly shaped, Sopwith camel. Oh no. Oh no. I th oh, I thought this was a slam dunk. So <laughs> I mean, sorry. it's it's like, it's Snoopy, but I feel like it's Snoopy, like an alter, like Snoopy has like a, like a character he pictures himself as, I think. Or is it just Snoopy? It's just Snoopy. It's just, okay. I mm, All right, cool. Yeah, it's just Snoopy. <laughs> all right, I'm overthinking he, it. It's just when, Snoopy. When, when he's playing that character, he's just the World War One flying ace. Okay, all right, cool. Huh. Yeah, it's not, he's all not right. like Joe Cool or like some other, like, other named character. He's yeah, just, all right, okay. Yeah, yeah. nice, Was I, good. I hope, I hope that wasn't cheating to ask whether it's whether No, it's no, no, you Snoopy. said Snoopy, you're, you got it, you're fine. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. Yes, in his trusty huh. stop with Camel. Yes. All right. Look at that. A hundred points. A hundred points. Triple digits. Well Yay. well done. Well earned. It's been a while victory. since I got triple digits. It feels good, I'm sure. This and it also feels good that I already have the quiz questions posted. Hey. Ooh, nice we work. Did it. This was a very fun quiz and a very informative deep dive and lovely talking about Jeopardy with you as always. Of course. Yeah. And uh, thank you listeners for joining us for this 
journey through the week of Jeopardy and the Red Baron. <laughs> Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you would be so kind. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are Jeopardy fans, let them know about us. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. That's right. And we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. <laughs> <laughs>